Please welcome to the Apple Store Covent Garden in London for tonight's Meet the Filmmaker, our host, Edith Bowman. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Evening. Um, oh, I'm very excited about this. So I'm going to crack on. Um, the film is out in cinemas tomorrow. I'm very lucky because I have seen it. Let's remind ourselves while we're here. Let's have a look at the trailer for Jungle Book. If you can't learn to run with the pack, one of these days you'll be someone's dinner. I can't help but notice there's this strange odor today. Man is forbidden! Run, Mowgli! <laughs> is no longer safe for you. But this is my home. Only man can protect you now. Poor sweet little cub. What are you doing so deep in the jungle? You are a man cub who wants to live in a jungle. How do you know that? Kid, I got ears. My ears got ears. Only I can protect you. Forget about your worries and your strife. What's that? That's a song about the good life. He will stop at nothing until he has this boy. If anything happens to that kid, I'll never forgive myself. Don't hibernate in a jungle. Not full hibernation, but I nap a lot. Please give a huge welcome to the Apple Store here, Mr. John Favreau. <laughs> welcome, sir. Uh, now, I'm going to start things off, but we have a huge, lovely crowd here. And I'm going to open up to questions to you guys in a second. So don't do that thing where I, we, I go question and you all get shy, and then I go last question, and everyone puts their hand up. Um, congratulations, first of all, on this film. I've been lucky enough to, to see it. Um, where did it start? I mean, and where do you start with, with a project like this? It started with, with Disney uh, having uh, pretty good success with taking their their animated classics and, and turning them into live action films. And uh, right now in, in this day and age, you know, uh, when you do a movie uh, that, that takes this much time, this much resource, uh, they're looking for genres that are, that they feel pretty comfortable with. So that's why you see a lot of superhero films, you see a lot of films that are, are sequels. And, and so to have the opportunity to work on something that's different in tone from what normally you get for a big set piece uh, film like this was, uh, was really uh, appealing to me as a filmmaker because normally you get to use these visual effects to, to work on films with, again, superheroes, explosions, fighting. And I've, I have fun doing that, but I've done it a few times. And, and so the idea of using visual effects for, for nature and 
emotion and animals and, and, uh, and, and the various tones that were touched upon in the Jungle Book uh, story was, was exciting to me. And so I went in and I met with them and, and they talked about using today's technology to tell the story from the 50-year-old uh, animated classic and the 100-year-old Kipling stories into a, a live action film was very appealing to me. You talk about technologies as well, and a lot of people will, will maybe see the trailer and think that, you know, it's motion capture, that it's kind of people in suits with balls, but it's, but it's not, not all of it anyway. And it's, it's so real looking. It looks so real. It's a, it's a combination of things. I, 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 you know, I'm a big film fan, and, and uh, every time I see a movie that makes an impression on me, I go out of my way to figure out how they did it. I could sometimes talk to the filmmakers, which is nice. Uh, but I, I remember when I saw Gravity, I thought that was really convincing. And so we borrowed a lot of techniques of how they lit it and how they planned that film uh, and how they actually uh, photographed it, knowing what all the shots would be ahead of time, which isn't what you normally have. Uh, also, Avatar with motion capture. We did use some of that in the planning phase, but there was a lot of keyframe animation done by uh, a house here in, in uh, London, MPC, which did a fantastic job. Um, we'll talk about the cast in a second. We've got a, a clip I'm going to show you here, first of all, which kind of shows the, the intensity that's created be between your cast. Um, this is the kind of scene where um, Bagheera and the wolves agree, agree amongst themselves that, that it might be safer for Mowgli to head back to the, the man village. Maybe I can be of help. The boy's right. Maybe it's time he found another people. No. I'm the one who brought him to you. And now I'll return him to where he belongs. I won't let you. He's my cub. We knew this day would come. We are the only family he's ever known. Raksha. It's the only place he'll be safe. It's okay, Ami. It won't go far. I'll come back and visit. Never forget this. You're mine. Mine to me, no matter where you go or what they may call you, you will always be my son. Um, he's hugging a wolf. <laughs> he is hugging a wolf. So honestly, <laughs> that little hug is probably one of the hardest shots uh, in the whole film. And what's so hard about it is, is anytime you have interactivity between a, a live action character and a digital character, it's, it's very difficult to create that contact point. And, uh, and what's more, that's an emotional moment, so you don't want it to look like a, a visual effect that draws attention to itself. And so it's those little moments that I'm most proud of as a filmmaker because the artists had to work very hard to make their work disappear. Um, and, and Neil as well, our little Mowgli, he is phenomenal. Uh, and I guess for this, for his first film role, is that right? Yeah, first, first audition even. We wow. Did it. We, we looked at 2,000 kids all around the world, over here, back in the States, uh, in India, Canada. And this kid just, you know, they were, they were, at, were, at, were at the point where we were handing flyers out. And <laughs> his, his dance teacher... Uh, came to his sister's birthday party and gave his dad the flyer, said, you might want to give this a shot. And they put him on tape, and I was totally charmed by him. He had no experience. He was nine, but he looked like the kid from the old animated movie. And he was super confident, not scared at all, was not a great actor yet, 
but I saw that he had a, a really wonderful, um, you know, he was somebody that I enjoyed watching on the tape again and again. He moved around like Mowgli from the movie, and then he did some martial arts and said that he would do all his own stunts, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> Good God. And we flew the family out. I met the family, very nice family. And he wasn't nervous at all. Like, it was, it was his, he, his complete confidence. And now on the press tour, he does talk shows. He does, he's, I've never seen the kid uh, out of, you know, uh, lose a step. Yeah. He always has a comeback. He's clever. <laughs> he's smart. And that's, a, that's something I look for in all actors is, is a, uh, intelligence. Smart people make really good choices and they make good actors. I like working with people who are, who are sharp, sharper than me usually. But asking this of, a, an, of an actor who's got experience, you know, to, to act opposite nothing a lot of the time yeah. is a big ask. To ask that of a, a nine-year-old who hasn't played a role before, he nails it. Yeah, when, when I'm on like the Iron Man movies, it's, you know, they, they complain about it, but, but uh, you know, the days that you have to react to visual effects, like Gwyneth Paltrow, for example, great actor, he would be, look up, there's the ironmonger. Look there, what's the thing? That's the, the explosion of the arc reactor that I was telling you about in rehearsal. She says, I don't know what it is. Just tell me what it is that's blowing up over there. Yeah, and she'd look and, you know, it'd be very convincing because she has a, a lifetime of training and she's, you know, you, you, you uh, see her on camera and you cut it against the visual effect and it's fantastic. Kid like this, he doesn't, he doesn't have any training. He's got a good imagination, but... Everything on the set was geared towards keeping it real for him and keeping him engaged. And so instead of having just eye lines to react to, I went to um, uh, the Jim Henson company and had them design puppets for all the characters. And I would have puppeteers do the lines with the puppets. And if you've ever seen a 10-year-old with a puppet, they just they light up. And so they were, the, it looked like a children's show on the set. And, and we'll probably start, once the movie's out and people kind of get what it is, I think we'll start releasing some images from behind the scenes because it's very strange to see it. It was all shot indoors in Los Angeles. We never went to a jungle. There was no real animals in the film. And everything was, a, we're, we're green, uh, blue screen sets, not much bigger than this stage. And puppets and uh, people in blue suits with little eyes on their hands sometimes, sometimes full life-size foam puppets of the bear. And it was uh, it really worked well because as you watch the kid's performance, he's he's completely engaged all the time, and he really did learn how to be a good actor over the course of this film. And the relationships he has with the different characters as well, and you know, and those are brought to life by fantastic actors. One in particular, from our shores, um, there's a few of them, but the first one being um, Idris Elba, um, who is utterly terrifying in the most real like computer animated tiger I've ever seen. It, it's a real, it's a real, I mean, look, look at this. Have a look at this clip. I can't help but notice there's this strange odor today. What is it? This scent that I'm on. I almost, almost think it was some kind of man cub. Mowgli belongs to my pack, Jerkon. Mowgli? They've given it a name. When was it we came to adopt man into the jungle? He's just a cub. Does my face not remind you of what a grown man can do? 
Kept your hunting ground for a few years, and everyone forgets how the law works. Well, let me remind you. A man-cub becomes man, and man is forbidden! He's so scary. He's so scary. Um, I mean, I imagine in my head at the voice session, Idris is on all fours being... He was, he, he was prowling about a bit. <laughs> Sweetest guy you'd ever meet, but then he's got this booming voice and this great presence, and that was the role he wanted to play. And uh, I've been a fan of his now uh, for, for quite a few years. The American audiences mostly know him through The Wire, but since then I've seen his other roles, and uh, he's just, he just does a great job. And it's a real, real cool version of a tiger, too, because if you look at a real tiger, they're, they're, they're scary if they're coming at you, but... But if you see them resting, they look like a big, fluffy house cat. They, they have big, fluffy bellies and really soft, uh, fluffy fur around their face. And so a lot of the challenge here was to design something that looked like it could be photoreal, but make, uh, stylize the scale, change the anatomy. We actually use a lot of anatomy of a lion because lions have a more menacing posture and uh, a tighter musculature. And, uh, and so we found where we could exaggerate things like the scale of the jungle. Since we were creating everything, like you would in a film like Avatar, that gave us permission to take, to, to be able to make choices that uh, helped the environment create a sense that you're seeing this whole thing through this boy's eyes. Um, in, this, uh, in this last clip, this is a I mean, wonderful piece of customer Scarlett Johansson's car. Um, but this is a really great example, I think, of how you fill every inch of the screen with kind of, with, with clues and little pieces and little moments. Just watch, try and watch as much of this, 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 this image as you can when we show you this clip. Who's out there? Hi. I'm not gonna hurt you. I was just passing through. I don't want any trouble. Are you I'm waiting for a friend. He should be here soon. I can stay with him. Would that be all? I'll keep you safe. Just you and me, sweet thing. Who are you? Car. Oh, she's brilliant. She's fantastic. And, you, and you, you kind of like that, where is she? The whole time before you get to see her, you're kind of looking for her. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the casting process and, and you know, getting these actors to Ben Kingsley and Well, some and of them, yeah. Well, Ben Kingsley I'd worked with on Iron Man 3. And I thought he was fantastic. I got to spend some time with him because uh, I was an actor on that film. And so we had some dinners and uh, I think we were filming our stuff in, in, uh, in Miami. Even though we didn't work together, we were uh, staying at the same hotel. And we, you know there were days neither of us worked and I, I got to know the guy. And just a very gracious, nice, uh, uh, wonderful spirit too. Very positive person. And then the choices he makes, he's just so, he can be so dangerous and so severe. You see him in Sexy Beast, you know, it's hard to believe it's the same guy. And so I asked him and, and I saw him at a party and that was an easy one. He was like, oh yeah, Bagheera, I'd love to. 
and Scarlett, who I know from other, other productions. But then there were people like um, Christopher Walken, who I don't really know, I never knew before, but I was a fan of. Him I had to reach out through the reps, the representatives. But Bill Murray, who I wanted for Baloo, is uh, notoriously difficult to get a hold of. He doesn't have a, an entourage, he doesn't have an agent, he doesn't have a publicist, he doesn't have a phone, <laughs> uh, and he has several addresses, none of which I had access to. So you go through this ritual of leaving, there's a, there's a voicemail number that you could leave a message on that he doesn't respond to. Um, and there were people that I knew who worked with him on other films and it was this meandering path to get an envelope with a handwritten letter and some artwork to him. And we were ready to move on. I was trying to try to f figure out who the next choice is. And if, if, if you like the movies I've done, um, I could tell you that the, the, the reason that you probably like them all comes from the casting choices that I made because the actors that, that uh, I've gotten to collaborate with have completely breathed life and, and the proper tone into these movies. I'm not the type of director who can take anybody, put them in a movie and, and make a movie that, that you'll like. The casting process is where I, I put all those pieces together. It's almost like a chef picking the proper ingredients. Without good ingredients, I can't make a good meal. And Bill Murray, I had in my head, that was the guy I wanted to use for this. And finally, I was about to give up, and then the, the phone rings, and it's Bill, as casual as can be, saying, yeah, this could be fun. Let's do it. I'm like, all right. Uh, when is it? You know, and I'll put my people in touch with your people. I don't have any people. Well, just tell me. It's this, this, this. Okay, good. And then he hangs up. And now normally, you know, those of you who don't know, you have the business affairs department, call the agent, negotiate the deal, do this, do that, set up the dates, send tickets, have a car waiting for him, a thing, everything. None of that was happening here. And I called my friend Ted Melfi, who had just worked with him on, on St. Vincent. And uh, he was the one who offered me advice. And he said, what happened? I said, yeah, he called. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll be there. And he says, yeah, that's it. You got it. He'll be there. And so you have to, you know, that's the way you work with him. And, and, and sure enough, he does show up. And then once he does show up, he works as hard as anybody. He improvises lines. All the laughs he gets in this movie, he made up himself. So it was a dream come true. It was everything you hope it would be. And we even got him to stop down in New Orleans when we are recording the music and record with the musicians like Kermit Ruffins and Dr. John when we were doing Bare Necessities. So he performed the music with the musicians there, and that was uh, an ex one of those experiences that I'll remember my whole life. There's a funny story as well that involves a small bar with a jazz band in New Orleans. Yes, that's true. So after we were done recording, when, when I said to him, uh, come on down to New Orleans, we'll have some fun, you know, we'll do some recording and we'll have a good time. And so when he showed up, he says, I thought you said we're going to have a good time. What's, what's going on here? We're done working. And so we went down to those of you who've been there to Frenchman Street, which is a, you know, you know, a neighborhood where you walk through there, and each storefront is a different, a different saloon, all of them playing live music, brass bands, New Orleans jazz. It's it, very exciting, full of life. Every, every night's like Mardi Gras down there. And we finally weave our way into one of these clubs, and... It's, it's, it was a quarter of the size of this room. A couple tables, a little stage, and there was like a six-piece brass band playing New Orleans jazz. We walk past the stage. There's a door to the storefront there. We sit down a couple, couple tables back, quietly sitting there and watching. 
And right in the middle of the song, the trombone player cuts it off and he starts playing Ghostbusters. <laughs> and they jump off the stage and they're right at him and he started smiling and the whole band went, the, the whole place went crazy. And they play it. And if you've ever heard you know, Ghostbusters, imagine it being played by a New Orleans jazz band full of brass instruments. The whole place was ringing. And then he was smiling. I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. And he turned to me and he says, you know, John, you really need a theme song. Brilliant. Okay, here are some questions then, please, um, for John. Gentlemen in the front there. This is like inside the actor's studio. I like this. Yeah. My question is, uh, two questions. One question is, you've talked about a bit about the casting process. Um, how crucial do you think the casting process is with the film, um, especially when emotional content is needed in, in a movie nowadays? Yes. And uh, would you like to direct another... Iron Man 4 with RDJ, <laughs> maybe versus Taskmaster, because I've heard that Marvel's got the rights or something, I don't know. Oh, you, you might know more than I do about, about that part. Uh, but let me answer your questions. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So uh, the, the first thing is, how important is the casting for the voice cast? Well, of course, the, the kid playing Mowgli, that's, that's very important because he's the one human character. And what you might be starting to realize in, in watching this footage is, we didn't want to make the animals behave in a way that animals wouldn't in real life. I think that's part of what makes CGI feel fake, is when you ask more of the artists than, than is realistically they're, they're capable of. You could always push something to do whatever you want it to do if it's a CG animated character, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna look real. So, so it's important to have the kid because you can only get so much expression out of an animal if it's photoreal. So you find yourself cutting to the kid a lot. The other thing is the voice. We need these performers to breathe humanity and life and emotion into these characters to help take essentially uh, a completely uh, artificial frame with artificial characters and breathe humanity and emotion into it. A lot of that comes from John Debney's score, which really helps bring emotion to it. But most of it's coming from the performers' voices. And if you think of the list of performers I have, you, their, their voice is a, is a big part of their instrument. With me, I don't have a great voice when I act. I'm, you know, uh, it's not my strong point. But if you think of Scarlett Johansson, you think of Idris Elba, you think of Lupita Nyong'o, Sir Ben Kingsley, and even Bill Murray, he brings a lot of his character through his voice. Uh, and Giancarlo Esposito, who played the wolf, if you remember Breaking Bad, he's Gus Fring on that. Tremendous control, vocal control. And so I was doing everything I could to stack the deck to bring emotion to this story because I felt that that was, if this story doesn't work emotionally, it doesn't feel like it's part of the Disney, part of the, part of the Disney tradition. As far as the Iron Man stuff goes, uh, by the way, after you see Jungle Book, wait a couple weeks and then go see Civil War because it's really good. I've seen it, really good, and, I, and I'm, you know, part, still part of the Marvel family, still producing the, um, executive producing the uh, Avengers films and uh, looking for opportunities to collaborate with them again. We've been talking about it. Now that the smoke's clearing here, I may do some stuff with them. Great, next question then, please. Uh, we'll go to the lady there and then we'll get to you in a second. Great. Um, hi, my name's Sasha and I'm a, a journalism student. Um, my question is, um, with the original animation being Walt Disney's last film, do you think he would have liked this interpretation? Um, so this was Walt Disney's last film that he was involved with. Um, 
something Walt Disney did that I think is a, a pattern in, in filmmakers that I enjoy is he would take folklore, fairy tales from various cultures, he would take the old stories, the old myths, and he would use cutting edge technology of his day. So the cell animation for uh, Snow White, they were using rotoscope, they were using multiplane. So it really had a, it was the equivalent of the technology of today of like motion capture and 3D photography. And I think that's part of why a film like Snow White is still playable, whereas other films from the 30s, it's, it's harder to maintain interest in most of them unless it's an exceptional film. Just because filmmakers' tastes, uh, audience tastes have changed. And I responded very much to Star Wars when I was growing up, which also followed that formula of use the old Joseph Campbell myths, the, the time-honored stories, and use cutting-edge technology. And in that case, it was motion control uh, miniatures and, and, and uh, a, a lot of techniques that, that uh, George Lucas and ILM had innovated at that time. Avatar, I would say, is the same thing. And so we tried to really stay true to the mythic roots of, of Jungle Book here. We drew a lot from the Kipling, which has a much more mythic quality than the 67 film. And we're using the best tech that we can get our hands on here. So I'd like to think that we're keeping in his tradition. We definitely looked to his, the big five, they call them the big five, the, the early animated films, Snow White, Bambi, Dumbo, Pinocchio, and Fantasia. And looked at the formula of that to see how to combine music and frightening scenes and humor. And, and try to really follow in those, in those footsteps, as well as looking at films like the animated Tarzan and, and The Lion King, because we knew we couldn't maintain the tone of the original. It was just too, it was a, a G-rated kids musical. Photo reel, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. And so we, we tried to embrace that tradition as, as much as we could. So I, so I hope he would like it. A uh, gentleman with a scarf on at the front, if that's okay, if we can get a microphone, sorry. Here we go. Hello. Uh, good evening. My name is Lorenzo. Um, first of all, congratulations for the movie. Um, Thank you. I can't wait to see it. Um, it seems like you got to know Neil uh, pretty well uh, throughout the course of these nine months. And, and my question is, will we see more of uh, Neil in your production and, um, well, maybe in other movies or other types of production? Neil, Neil Seti, the kid playing Mowgli you're talking about? Pardon? Uh, you said Neil? Yeah. Neil, yeah. Uh, yeah. Neil, I got to, we, we, we worked together for nine months, which was, as he pointed out to me, one-tenth of his life. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and his family was around, so I really got to know them quite well. And, you know, this is a, learning how to be on a film set is, takes learning, and I was, I tried to be a good mentor for that. But also, everything he's dealing with now as, as he's doing interviews and people are starting to recognize him, uh, you know, so we've spent a lot of time together, and, and I'm trying to help him through it, point him in the right direction. He's a, he's a quick study and has good people around him, so, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about, about it, and I'm certainly feeling pretty good about him as a performer. Uh, look, hopefully this film uh, does well enough that Disney feels that there's room for more stories to be told, and I would get to collaborate with him, and depending on when we start and how old he is, that's what the stories are going to be. And... Uh, but he's somebody that I would work with again in a minute, and I really look forward, honestly, for him to be working with other people, too, to have other experiences, because that's how I learned. I learned how to direct by being an actor, by being on other director's sets and observing. And if there's one thing I would say as a complaint for those of you who want to be filmmakers is, 
there's no tradition of apprenticeship in filmmaking. Yeah, you could be a, an assistant or a PA and you could observe. I was a background or I was an extra in Chicago and I learned by watching. But having trained with the chefs for the movie chef, I realized that they're very similar in many ways, except when you work in a kitchen and work your way up through the line, start off maybe washing dishes, then you work the hot line or you're a broiler cook or a sous chef, there's a training and apprenticeship situation going on. So even though you're working long hours for not a lot of dough, there's a sense that you will eventually graduate and be a chef, uh, you know, a, a chef yourself. We don't really have that, certainly in the States we don't, uh, to the extent that I think is, uh, not to the extent that you see in the culinary world. And the closest thing you have, or one of the closest things, is what I experienced was I was an actor on many different director's sets. And even now still, I went to work on Scorsese's set in Wolf of Wall Street as an actor. And I'm just a sponge. And that's the way you learn, by imitating people that are good at what they do. That's how you learn how to be a musician. You, you know, you listen to albums and you copy their licks. And, uh, and certainly you have the film school of watching movies, going to movie theaters. That's how I learned. And listening to director's commentary, coming to events like this. But there's nothing that replaces the, the structure of apprenticeship that I think is so valuable in other artistic areas. Okay, we've got time for one last question. Young gentleman down the front there. Thank you. Uh, hello, John. Nice to meet you. Um, nice to meet you. I'm hoping to be um, like a director myself in the future. And I was just wondering, what's it like to actually see your work on screen? Like, how exactly do you feel when you're seeing your... Like, I admire your work. And Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. How does it actually feel to actually see it on the big screen? It's, uh, it's a... Um, it depends what... It feels different depending on the circumstances. I'm really trying to uh, give a real, real answer here. Usually the first couple times you're watching a movie, it's horrifying because you're watching an assembly and the movie's not polished yet and you feel like, what did I do? I, I just, I'm terrible. And as Paul Thomas Anderson says, when you look at the first editor's assembly, the movie's terrible, and every day you work on it, and every day it gets a little bit less terrible and a little bit less terrible, and then one day you cross a line, you don't even know it, and it starts to become good and maybe even great. And so having the experience of going through that, I don't really let myself react to the initial reaction of self-doubt. And I remember when I was writing Swingers, I was very lonely, I was suffering a breakup, and I remember what it felt like when we shared it with, when we showed it at like the Venice Film Festival and people were applauding. And you feel like you've exposed something very personal and vulnerable about yourself and, and you've been accepted even with um, showing your flaws. Even showing your flaws. And so you feel incredibly supported. And now as people have gotten to know me over the course of my career, Wherever I go, I feel like I have friends, and that's a very, it's a very nice feeling. It feels like every place is the place you grew up. And, um, and I think that's one of the nice benefits that I didn't understand the dynamic of. Uh, but, but the real feeling that's good is the feeling of challenging yourself and doing the work and getting, uh, having a good relationship with the people in your immediate circle who you're collaborating with. And no matter how high up the food chain people I know are who are in this field, it's that bonding that takes place when you're collaborating on trying to share a vision and, 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 and make something, be it a television show, a movie, a web series, uh, a project. 
there's something really healthy in that collaboration, uh, and you all learn from each other. And so that's why you see people who, you know, Steven Spielberg does not have to make another movie. He's won Oscars, he's got a lot of money. Why does a guy like Steven Spielberg jump right into the next project and find something he's passionate about? Because that's what's in it. It's the, you, you, you think it's for the result, but then you realize the process is the thing that you start to really welcome. And I think people I know who are in music feel the same way, and it's a very wonderful uh, way to live. It's a, uh, it's a, you learn a lot and you feel like you have a purpose. And so that's the part I really like about making movies is in success you get to make more, work with people that you've worked with before, work with new people that are passionate. And uh, it's, it's a very exciting thing. And nowadays, you don't have to wait for somebody to tell you that you can make a movie. It's inexpensive enough that you could do even, you know, I could, I could point out a few things in this building. You buy three or four things, you buy a laptop and an iPhone, you could make a movie that could win a film festival. Probably with what you have in your pocket right now, um, you can do something. Even if it's not feature length, even if it's just content that you put online. We didn't have that when I was starting out. And so I think you're gonna see a lot of fresh voices, a lot of great filmmakers break out because the barrier of entry has disappeared. And so now it's purely about how hard you're going to work and how talented you are. And don't be afraid to fail early on. Uh, for those of you who are filmmakers, I think that there's a, a wonderful opportunity now to, uh, if you're in it for the right reasons, there's a chance to learn and do it. So I encourage, I did a version of that with Swingers back then, which was much more expensive. Now it's a little bit more pure and easier to, to, to break into. So I also want to, Thank all of you for your questions, and uh, sorry that we're, we don't have more time. Uh, Thank but you. Pleasure talking to you. Yeah, an absolute pleasure. Please give a huge round of applause. Jungle Book is in cinemas tomorrow. Thank you for your ears, your questions, your time. John Favreau, everyone.